Hey listeners, just jumping in quickly before the podcast to notify you about the BodyTrack Academy educational webinars that we have available via Eventbrite. We cover a variety of topics ranging from oncology, musculoskeletal rehab, neurological rehab, mental health performance and much more, all of which you can access 24-7. That means you can purchase the webinar and watch it at any time that suits you. You can claim our webinars as PD points via SS self-assessment tool and as a valued listener of the podcast, you're entitled to $10 off any of our webinars, but do hurry because the code is only available to the first 10 purchases. Just use the code FIRST10. So head on over to Eventbrite and browse our webinars. The link is in the show notes and on the BodyTrack Academy Facebook page. I'd like to begin this podcast by acknowledging the Yagara and the terrible people as the traditional custodians of Mianjin the lands on which our podcast is recorded. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Welcome to the BodyTrack Academy podcast created by EPs for EPs. The podcast will take you on an in-depth understanding of everything an EP is faced with on a day-to-day basis, including clinical, personal and business practices to ensure you become the best practitioner possible. If you enjoy the podcast, make sure you like, share, follow us on whatever streaming service you use to ensure the message spreads and you are notified of any new podcast or educational resources available to you. Furthermore, if you're not already part of our online academy, head over to Facebook and join the BodyTrack Academy. Happy listening. Well, it's Tuesday morning and that means that we are recording another BodyTrack Academy podcast at the bright early time of 8am. Not really bright and early, actually. We're pretty early birds, about 5.30. But we do have our coffee. This is my second. And I'm with Josh. Josh, how are you? I'm good. I'm also on my second coffee. Um, But, you know, well caffeinated and ready to seize the day. Beautiful. This podcast could go on for about three hours, I reckon, after two coffees and both of us. But uh, we'll try and be short, sharp, succinct, and to the point for our listeners. Josh, can you let us know what we're talking about today? Yeah, so um, we're very lucky to have two of our practitioners um, in a previous podcast talk about the 10 principles of neuroplasticity. Um, And so I thought it was a great, uh, just convenient actually, that I'd recently done a webinar on on how we look at the practical applications of that. Um, And so I thought it'd be a great idea to um, sit down and chat today about some of the take-homes from that and some things that... You know me, I really like things that are easily transferable into into our clinical skills. So um, some things that really sort of uh, stood out for me. Perfect. So I think listeners get ready for another practical, action-packed podcast that you can take from your your listening today straight into your practice tomorrow. Um, And yes, that was from uh, Jackie and Mackenzie who went through um, their second podcast around Neuro. Um, neurological rehabilitation and went through those 10 principles and had a little bit of a case study. Um, But yes, Josh is more based at Sherwood Clinic and has experience with um, neurological populations here um, and did a different podcast, uh, sorry, a different webinar and we're going to talk about some of those principles that you resonate with and and apply. So let's go through, um, let's go through kind of your top couple of principles that you see fit most practically for you here at Sherwood. Yeah. I mean, I think the 10 principles themselves are, are pretty well, um, they pretty well encapsulate everything you need to focus on. I think, yeah. um, you know, we're not sort of sitting here today saying, I oh, disregard this, just focus of on course. this. Yeah. Um, I think 
what I found was there were some really sort of clear take-homes that not only allow for our prescription to be really, really specific and really, really um, beneficial mm-hmm. um, given the timeframes, but also that really then allow good pathways for education for the client and allow them a little bit more, um, well, they use the term salience in the mm. principles, but allow them to understand the role that they play in their treatment cycle. So, right. um, and as we know, with any any condition that we're going to see here, if the client takes ownership of that, if they take ownership of what they can do outside the clinic, all of a sudden we've opened up a whole new doorway. Yeah, I, I guess it's, um, it's more like just finding the right variable that is going to be best suited to the to the client. As you said, the 10 principles encapsulate it all, mm. but some may actually resonate more with that client or work better in that situation. Or So you're just pulling from your pool of resources to, to apply the best practice, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, I mean, Perfect. exactly right. So I think we'll keep it short and sweet. I'll just jump straight into it. Let's so go. The, the, the first one, it's actually um, sort of the third principle of neuroplasticity that um, gets mentioned within that, and it's um, about specificity. And specificity gets thrown around a lot, particularly in the, in the health industry. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, um, we can sometimes shy away from it because it is to be is seen to be over, overtly specific, but within this population so um, of those uh, neural conditions, we really want to see that specificity being pushed to its nth degree. Mm-hmm. Um, the example they got was looking at the difference between squatting and surfing. So just because you can squat really well doesn't mean you can surf really well. Okay. And, yep. and that sort of gets put into your rehabilitation sense because we sort of sit here going, well, for me and you, if we're strong enough to, to do lots of squats, to do squats really um, really repetitively, different variations, we're, we're probably going to have maybe the the strength to, mm-hmm. to facilitate a, a movement like surfing, but without that then transferring of that skill across or that learning of certain um, sort of motor movements that are required for that, we're not going to be able to sort of facilitate it as well as we could. We yeah. could probably still sort of fudge our way through it. Of course, um, yes. Obviously, for those that um, sort of suffer those either neurodegenerative or um, or trauma-based uh, neurological conditions, they are going to struggle with that a little bit more yeah. for obvious um, sort of reasons. I think um, I think in that, like, I find myself quite common uh, in a non-neurological population, mm. and sometimes a neurological is going kind of linking the dots is mm. in in terms of that specificity is going well. If you can build up your strength or your your capacity with squatting Mm. that will then enable you to do x Mm -hmm. so that does have its place but are you referring to in terms of the specificity not not so much that linkage is that where i'm I'm getting yeah so if we take it for like a um take it back to sort of like uh, I guess a um, like a neuroplastic change yeah. um, for that action to be uptaken by someone that is maybe has suffered a stroke that doesn't have those um, those neural pathways connected at this point. Right. For taking it back to there, you we need to reinforce that connection to get those everything firing and those neurons firing mm. at the same time mm. and firing in cohesion that allows for a, a motor movement to happen. Yeah. Without, because of the implications of, for, for this example, let's say a stroke, they don't have that pattern predetermined. Got it. So yep. we need yeah. to reinstate that pattern and just squatting is mm. not going to reinstate that pattern for them because it's a totally different linking of movement. Yeah, that's, that's really well said actually, Josh. Like clears it up very... Uh, a lot and um, 
distinguishes really well that notion of specificity for different populations. Mm. That's that's fantastic. Um, Fascinating stuff. So I really liked that. I yeah. really, really liked that. And so and they talk about that linking of high repetition strength training with your task specificity. Okay. So always having that little bit of, of, of both, but making sure that, you know, you're always reverting back to, um, you know, what do we need this client to achieve? What mm. do they need to be able to facilitate in day-to-day life? Or maybe it is surfing and they want to get back to surfing, <laughs> yeah. you know, how do we get them there? Yeah. Okay. Excellent. So that was the, that was the first one. I uh, really enjoyed that. That sort of moves really well into the, the repetition matters part of it which I, which is really sort of brief, which is just, they're, they're saying sort of four to 600 reps per day. Wow. So that is, that is a lot of reps. That is a lot of reps. <laughs> that is a lot of reps worth. And that's what they're saying, obviously, from research. They're finding that that is sort of the, what has been shown to give really, really good increased neuroplastic changes, um, which holds up a whole nother thought, which is, okay, well, how do we actually achieve this? Yeah. So um, I think the, the biggest thing was working around like strategies to how do we achieve this within a day. Now, okay. um, obviously it's a sliding scale. There was mentions to sort of lo- as low as sort of two to 300. Mm. But I think, um, yeah, from what they've seen within the research, that four to 600 reps per day is quite, quite a sort of yeah. hard task. Really, so that would have been obviously based on the back of a lot of... Um, a lot of research and understanding of what the like does that sound to me, that there's a thing about minimal dose right mm-hmm. minimal dose of to, yep. to cause effect is that where this four to six hundred reps can kind of sit or are you actually saying that it could actually be two hundred is that yeah so in the, in it, it did, is or? it is to a degree and it's probably something we need to delve a bit further into but okay. um, they were very strongly looking at sort of the minimal dose being that sort of 400. Right, okay, um, yeah. Which I guess, like like it seems like a lot of reps, Yeah. but if we're integrating this into their daily schedule, if mm. we're sort of looking at, okay, well, we don't need to do 400 squats, we need to do 400 <laughs> mechanisms of, you know, ankle, knee, and, um, and hip flexion. Yeah, right. So then yeah, we can start to sort of build sense. it into the day a little bit more. And yeah. and I think that was my interpretation of it, which is, okay, we need to get these people going under quite ridiculously high volumes of, of strength mm. work mm. to see an optimal output. Yeah. Obviously, you can scale that back just like anything. You can have a, a smaller dose, yeah. but you'll expect a uh, an equally sort of um, smaller progression. So just we're not seeing, um, you know, Josh, just, just FYI, bro, we're not seeing Josh have his clients in here doing a 40 kilo squat at 400 rep and that's about it for the session. Not yet. It is. <laughs> I mean, it could be could be happening. Um, but no, that, that, I, that makes a lot of sense, building it into their day. Um, and, and Josh, do you, do you educate people on that? Is that something that you throw out there? Is that actually could have a negative effect of going... Geez, I have to do a ton yeah. of this. Like, yeah, yeah. How how do you then navigate that? And that was and that was a conversation we sort of discussed um, throughout the webinar. Was this um, how do we then implement? What strategies do we use? Yeah. So yeah. I think you know you as a practitioner, we want to be open and honest with our with our patients at all at all times. We we want them to understand what they're building towards. Mm. And every person is going to be different. You're going to have have some some clients that come in that you go got to do 300 reps of this today okay split it up to 10 times 30 every time you get up to go to the toilet or something like that 
and they go, yeah, I can do that. Easy yeah. ads. I already go to the toilet 10 times a day or something like yeah. that, you know? Um, very adherent there. <laughs> very adherent. And you're going to have the other side that that will just scare them off. Yeah. So maybe it's a case of, I'll tell this person, you know they've got 10 steps in their house. Okay, well, you've got to make sure that you do. You go up on those, up and down those steps mm. four times. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so we know that they're getting sort of at least, you know, your 40 reps just in that. And then you go, okay, but then you've got to do sort of 10 sit-to-stands four times a day. And we can start to build the volume in other ways. Yeah. So, yeah. And um, it, it all comes down, of course, to the safetyness as well of, of doing that for the particular person and how they're presenting. So, of course, like, you, you know, almost putting like a, a caveat in here that if you're noticing them quite unsteady on their feet, we're not going to go, hey, literature says we have to do 400 yeah, of, of these, so of go course. up and down the stairs. So you're being very smart and and, um, and coming back to, I guess, the safety measures and, and, and what is that person, uh, their, their capacity and their tolerance, uh, which you know stems from that initial assessment. You need to find that stuff out. Mm-hmm. You need to find out what their, their goal is and what they're um, aiming towards and base all of this prescription and this is where research becomes practice, Yeah. right? You could quite easily look at that literature and go, all right, 400 to 600, we need to do that, and that's what I'm going to do for everyone. We know the cookie cutter doesn't work, no. needs to be specific, uh, and that's your take home from, from that part there, Well, at least from what I would, yeah. um, would embed in my practice now as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean practitioners in general mm. should be critically analysing of every course. piece of information yeah. they get through, whether it's evidence-based or not. Yes. Um, I guess from this, it is it is mm-hmm. scaffolding to build your program. Off That's right. Than, I like that. Yeah. Rather than sort of going, okay, we'll just try and find four hundred. <laughs> yeah, Josh is going to be out there with a the little pad, doing little <laughs> one, two, three, just a score tally on the wall. Score yeah. tally, you go, guys. <laughs> so that was really cool. I really enjoyed that and how those two linked together. Um, the the last one was sort of talking about. Um, I guess the, the 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 thought of priming. Now it wasn't mm-hmm. like um, specifically a principle, but one of the big take home ones was using cardiovascular ex- exercise as priming for strength and task specific exercise. Um, so they looked into um, sort of BDNF, which is your brain derived neurotropic factors, yep. um, and they're the ones that sort of really help with those those neurolo- uh, those uh, neurotropic growth. Mm. So the growth there, the, the linking of, of neurons together, that sort of solidification of motor patterns is sort of where that fits in. Um, and they've found that there's been quite a, a lot of evidence showing huge amounts of BDNF increase following steady state aer- uh, aerobic exercise. Wow, fantastic. I mean, I think... Um Mackenzie was talking about this in the first neurological podcast she did with um, with Jackie. So um, this is coming back to me as well, and a good reminder for our listeners um, that this is all linking together really nicely. So, um, but that's um, that's quite even from that moderate intensity. You know, it doesn't have to be health, leather, all out uh, physical activity, which is you know some people think they have to do. So and, that's and it links it links well for for particularly for this sort of population because. With that lower intensity, that steady state aerobic exercise, mm. you obviously have your, your neurological adaptations like we are talking about there, that sort of 
that um, that growth um, growth factor there. Mm. But then mm. you also have your um, what aerobic exercise will do for just about any population. You've got yeah. your anti-inflammatory capacities. You've got your central nervous system stimulus. You've got all that sort of thing that is vicariously occurring, mm. even if it's not the main point of call of what we're working on. Of course. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's again with this one, it was okay. Well, dosage. How does it work? We need minimum of 30 minutes is mm -hmm. the goal. Minimum of 30 minutes, four times a week. Okay, well, how do we do this if this person's only just getting out of hospital and mm. you know struggles to get up and walk to the kitchen and back? Okay, well, we've got to slowly build through. Yep. Um, and they found realistically utilizing a, um, various modalities. So it doesn't just have to be on the treadmill, on the bike, on the arm ergo. It can be whatever the person can achieve. You can split it up. Mm. It's um, obviously, in a perfect world, it'd be on the same modality. Yeah, you know, at exactly seventy percent of their heart rate. You know, yeah, all, that's the, all that's the, the clinical trial model. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but what they found with that is it's just really helps with the increase in neurotropic factors. Mm -hmm. So your BDNF and your neurotropin three um, increase in neurotransmitters as well, so serotonin and dopamine. Yeah. So. All those things that not only help reinstate the motor patterns that we're then going to be taking the, the client through, but all the things that sort of, um, all those endorphins that sort of make you feel good about what you're doing as mm. well. We know that that's going to have a, a big a big buy-in as well. Yep. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to our podcast. We hope you're learning a lot in this particular episode. Just a shout out to our sponsor, HGG Performance, which provide very high quality, innovative gym equipment and custom fit outs to enable you to pivot your potential and smash performance and rehab goals. They are world renowned for their innovative creations in the gym accessory space, including the best selling ISO Tib LT, Tib Bar, Wrist Axe and Nordic Bar. And I gotta say, we're using some of these equipment in our clinic and finding some great results. Used by professional sports teams, athletes and coaches worldwide, as well as the military, health practitioners, and apparently even Joe Rogan uses their gear. HGG is a proudly Aussie-owned company that makes all their gym equipment at their Gold Coast HQ. And our partnership with them, we are stoked to offer you 10% discount on any product with the code BODYTRACK10 so you can experience what all the hype is about yourself. So jump over to their website, go to the checkout, punch in the code of BODYTRACK10 to get 10% off um, on any of their great innovative gym equipment and start using today thanks very much um just gonna side jump jump sideways a little bit here and go into how do you go about measuring all this for your for your specific clients that mm -hmm. um this this pertains to um i know it would be different for each person based on like i was saying before baselines and um uh, and how the person is presenting to you um but is there any key kind of testing measures that you uh, you you would endorse with uh, these specific neurological rehab populations? Or yeah, again, it is really specific to the person. Obviously, um, you know, if we're talking about stroke, um, area of the body that's affected. Mm -hmm. So you yeah. know, if if they're predominantly upper limb affected, then okay, we're going to do something alongside like a walking test or. Something like that, whether it's a six-minute or a graded, um, a graded uh, treadmill or mm. something within their capacity. Um, if obviously it's a little bit more lower limb, then we're going to look. Okay, well, how do we, um, how do we, how we look at that? Maybe it's a, um, we we push them through like an arm ergo or yep. something like that, or something lower intensity. 
Um, realistically, I think at first, for me personally, it's it's finding where they start to where their fatigue point is, yeah, and then we scale it back from there because it's always going to be within our best interest to 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 gradually build them into a program rather than going oh well your VO two max is this so we're going to build and this is your max heart rate so we're yeah. going to put you here and we're just going to go go from know. these percentages yeah exactly what yeah you so there is there is in in personal experience there's a, there's a sliding scale with this of course we obviously yeah. want to be uh, replicable in how we test um, so that we can come back and and compare yeah. mm-hmm. but I do think um, utilizing some shorter um, some shorter means of aerobic capacity testing is is absolutely fine for those more deconditioned populations. And I think the other thing to draw from that too is there there is a plethora of cardiovascular testing that we can do. We've, we've got heaps that we can choose from um, that are really reputable, researched, evidence-based, all those. But I think what you else you brought up there is some of that won't actually be applicable no. for the patient that you're, that, how they've presented. Mm-hmm. So the suggestions that you just had then around Perhaps it's looking at arm and go. Be creative. Like, mm. you know, it could be a distance. It could be a time for yeah. for achieving a distance. Yeah, it could that be a held still... a held rotations per minute. Exactly. We want them to hold that for as long as they can. And the yep. minute they drop below, we deem that as a sign of fatigue. That's right. Obviously, we're yeah. monitoring vitals like uh, heart rate and, and blood pressure throughout this as well. Yeah. And and that gives us our point. And then mm. we go, okay, cool. So this is the intensity we can work at for this amount of time. Yep. Let's scale it back to this so you can hit the time point we want to do. Yeah, and you're making it as well things that you can they could um, replicate at home. So they might they won't have access. Well, unless they've got an armergo in their shed, I don't know. But they don't always have access to the equipment that we may have here. So you can use your testing and and modify your testing battery. That, um, that is very much specific to the client um, and it's your clinical discretion. Um, it, won't, it probably it won't give you all the fancy data of VO2 and all that, but that may not be as necessary for, for these clients exactly. in, in that scenario. Exactly. Um, measuring still, let's go back to reps matter. Mm-hmm. So, sorry, am I right, 400 to 600 was your ideal? Yeah, was yeah. the ideal dosage, yeah. yeah. Is there any way that you measure that for, or, or have they had experience in being really methodical and telling people to almost measure that in their day-to-day and setting them up with almost an activity diary or anything like that? Is that things that you've used before or encouraged? Or um, on, on the other side of this too, Josh, like are you not seeing progress as you would... Um, you would you would suspect from a from a block program mm-hmm. and then you then re- recalibrate and go well are we actually achieving that minimal dose mm-hmm. like what where do you kind of stand on on that yeah there's there's two points in that and, and the yep. second point sort of follows into another great takeaway i had from this thing, uh this uh webinar but mm-hmm. first and foremost i think you learning to manage the patient is the priority. If they are the type of person, as we said, this poor everyone's going to be different. They're the type of person that loves a plan, that loves that uh, that forced adherence, that that wants to be ticking off every rep they do in the day. Then you you hit a bit of a jackpot there because they're yep. really really handy to work with. Um, I think it might. It's one of those things where it might go back the other way, and it's just going. You know, okay. Well, at the moment you're not hitting the volume that we need mm. to see adaptation take place to see the adaptation that we should be seeing in this block of training um there's obviously always going to come back to 
Am I, is there something with the prescription that we need to work out? Um, have we hit a bit of a plateau? And they talk about sort of that neuroplastic plateau within the um, within this uh, webinar as well, which is always looking at ensuring that your specificity is continually improving as well. So it's not just, a, um, oh yeah, well we can sit, sit and stand out of a low chair, we don't use arms, that's great. Cool, we'll just keep doing this for the next sort of mm. six months. Like particularly in sort of rehabilitative stages and, and even in like neurodegenerative um, rehabilitation or I guess in treatment, there's always that that idea that we need to be super consistent. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And yes, we yeah. absolutely do, but we need variability because that's what's going to force neurological change. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So that I didn't really answer your question, but that, that was the first part. The second mm. part is okay, well, what techniques can we have to ensure that that dosage is being maintained throughout the week? Yeah. And that's that tough conversation you've got to have, being yeah, like, look, definitely. this is what we know. We want to achieve this, but we can't without having this medication. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's sort of, I think, as practitioners, sometimes a tough conversation to have, which is you need to come in more than once a week or you need to come in more than twice a week or, yeah. you know... We need to find an option where you're being supervised because otherwise there is no adherence to this. Correct. Um, yep. Getting family members on side is always a great one as well. So asking who they live with, who their neighbours are, all that sort of thing is mm. always a really helpful one as well. Mm. Um, I have a client who um, is lives next door to, a, to another client at the clinic and oh, they great. do their home exercises together because they're both useless at doing and they won't mind me saying this though they're both useless at doing them on their own so right. they get together twice a week and they do them as fantastic well. so. do they know that as well do they know that they came to the same place and lived next door yes yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. They did. So, okay so it wasn't like so i drew hey. so they they informed me of the connection oh, and then okay. i cool. told them to do them together that's cool and then we that's check cool. up on them the reason i ask is because um we have our christmas party coming up and i do remember um uh, one of my clients who has been coming for eight years uh, met another their neighbour mm. who had also been coming for seven years and they both didn't know they were coming. They no had no idea. <laughs> so that's why I asked. Anyway, no, just to sidetrack side their team, but um, that, that can happen. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, any other points to touch on here, um, Josh? I think well, I touched on the, um, the tissue ad- adaptation and the recovery plateau. I think um, the the biggest point was that variation is key. So they're yeah, looking at that six sure. to eight weeks of programming, very similar to yeah. sort of your um, typical training blocks. Mm. Um, and and they added within that is from more from like a, um, I guess a motivation sense is trying to bust a few myths along the way. The most iconic one for, for sort of stroke rehab being um, that, you know, within your first um, six months, you're going to make, the most about most amount of improvement and if you don't make improvement in six months or well, the connotations there mm. is if you don't make improvement in the first six months oh well good luck for the remaining six months after that yeah. so they were really adamant on trying to bust that because right. we know that there is no there is always going to be plateaus and, and changes in in how we adapt to stimulus but there is for a lot of these um for a lot of these conditions there is always progress to be to be achieved yeah, yeah and definitely. you know Obviously, poor motivation of thinking that you know um, I'm eight months out now. This is this is it Mm. is definitely not going to help you buy into any more sort of change, and that's really important as well. Yeah, and it comes down to um, the clinical discretion and the skills that the EP possesses to then manage the client really well in that in that dynamic. Um, 
your point before about tough conversations, that's things that we really endorse EPs to keep doing mm. if you're not doing already. Um, being firm and, and saying this is this is the minimal dose that you need. Yeah. Um, and th- this isn't only just for neurological rehabilitation, this is for all populations. Um, we know our societies is not meeting physical activity mm. guidelines. Yeah. They're scraping the surface of it, some of them. Um, so when they're coming and they're aggravated or they're um, annoyed that progress isn't being made and they're seeing you, I think I said this in the last podcast, so sorry for repeating myself, everyone, but they're seeing you once for 30 minutes yeah. and barely doing their home program, that's a tough conversation. That's not on you guys, that is on them. And you need to have that, that firm conversation of up in their exercise in the week. Yeah. Um, take home. Take, take home points. Um, priming techniques. So using using uh, particularly aerobic exercise, um, but also then your uh, resistance-based exercise as well mm-hmm. to sort of um, build the capacity for task-specific movements. Um, always utilizing, uh, utilizing that, and if you can do it in, in that order, it has been shown to be sort of a lot more um, beneficial. Yeah. Um, obviously, people's circumstances change. Yeah, um, yeah. keeping and, and keeping that task-specific in particular, um, within the hour of aerobic exercise, right, is sort yep. of what they're seeing. So really, sort of stacking them up and going, and that comes into managing their fatigue and everything like that as well. So something to be aware of. Um, and then finally, just that neuroplasticity requires adaptations and adjustments. So yeah. um, both general strengthening capacity and task specific. So if if you're not seeing change, revisit what you're doing. Revisit mm-hmm. what the goals are. And, and keep wor- and keep working through that loop. Yeah. And if you really start, keep listening to more neuro podcasts from us so you can get some more ideas. Um, Josh, been unreal. Learned a lot myself. Going to take some to my own practice, as I'm sure all our listeners will as well. Thanks for being on the podcast, and we'll have a chat again soon. Not a problem. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. So remember to share, like, or follow keep updated with all our podcasts and educational resources.